you mind opening up your Bibles and turning to the book of Exodus chapter 12? Verse 29 is where you want to keep your finger. And as you're turning to the book of Exodus, an observation. I don't know if you agree with this, but more and more from my perspective, it seems as though we live in a world where most people don't have much use for the past. Or at least that's what they believe. They concern themselves with the present. Everyone's fixated on the present. Everyone's fixated on the present or the future. People I talk to to these days contend more and more that the past is finished and gone. And since you can't do anything to change it, it doesn't mean that much. According to this logic, which we see emerging in different ways, we need to rid ourselves of anything that looks or feels old. Our pursuit should be for that which is new, for anything that is fresh or exciting, different. And I think one of the most visible reflections of this trend within our culture today is the lack of appreciation and understanding of our history. More and more, those who are older have failed to remember. And those who are younger are failing to learn that what they have how they got what they have today, why they have it, how they got where they are. And the net result of this collective forgetfulness, if you're tracking with me, is, the more we, is that we're led to believe that we deserve what we have. More than this, we deserve more than what we have. The operative word here is deserve. But it's a word that's used without foundation. If you ask someone these days, why do you deserve this or that? If that's the operating assumption. The only leverage that stands behind the use of this word deserve behind this verb is an empty and frankly untrue premise. As the person will normally answer you, because it's always been that way. But the truth is, and we know this, it hasn't always been that way. Think for a moment, beloved, what your life would be like today if you could not or did not remember anything that happened to you before today. Let's say you woke up this morning totally unaware and unconcerned about the past. What would you know about yourself? How would you engage the world? What would be your basis for making decisions? How would you recognize where you are and where you've been? We all know that we cannot change the past. And because of this, we often speak and encourage each other not to live in the past. And while this is good advice in a sense, we need to understand that the past has a great deal to give us. And what it has to give us, nothing else can provide. One of the more important words in the Bible, as we're going to hear again this morning, perhaps just as important as words like faith and grace and hope, is the word remember. This word remember is at the heart of our passage today. As the terror of the tenth and final plague descends upon Egypt, as the Israelites pack their bags and get ready to cross over from slavery to freedom, the Lord instructs Moses to tell the people to remember. Let us listen as the Lord takes advantage of the present moment to lay out instructions for the future that are rooted in Israel's past. From the gospel, from the gospel of the Exodus... In chapter 12, starting with verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, 
and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was a loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds, and as you have said, go. And also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country. For otherwise, they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Succoth. There were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Many other people went up with them as well as large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. When the dough they had brought from Egypt, they baked cakes of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt, Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. Now the length of the time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. The end of 430 years to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt. Because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt, on this night all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for the generations to come. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, These are the regulations of, for the Passover. No foreigner is to eat of it. Any slave you have may, may eat of it after you have circumcised him. But a temporary resident and a hired worker may not eat it. It must be eaten inside one house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of the bones. The whole community of Israel must celebrate it. An alien living among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his house circumcised. Then he may take part like one born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat of it. The same law applies to the native born and to the alien living among you. All the Israelites did just what the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The firstborn offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether man or animal. Then Moses said to the people, Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Eat nothing concerning ye containing yeast. Today in the month of Abib you are leaving. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites, the land he swore to your forefathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you are to observe this ceremony in this month. For seven days eat bread made without yeast, and on the seventh day hold a festival to the Lord. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days. Nothing with yeast in it is to be seen among you, nor shall any yeast be seen anywhere within your borders. On that day tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that the law of the Lord is to be on your lips. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. You must keep this ordinance at the appointed time year after year. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Israelites are still between the Exodus event and the crossing of the Red Sea. Before God brings them out of Egypt, before they even get that far, 
The Lord tells the people to remember what is happening here. Two different rituals, as we heard, are established by God to remind the people where they have come from. The week-long feast of unleavened bread and the consecration of all of Israel's firstborn to Yahweh. Both of these events, these liturgies, are designed to make the people stop once a year and remember God's power, God's love, and God's faithfulness. The foundation for the Feast of Unleavened Bread has already been established as we looked at last week with the instructions for the Passover. The meal of salvation, wherein the judgment of death passed over those marked by the blood of the Lamb, is now bookended by a seven-day feast. The point of eating the bread without yeast for a week every year is to remember that the Lord's salvation was so quick and decisive that the people had no time to wait for their dough to rise. When it was time to go, it was time to go. The bread had to be baked and eaten as is, without leaven, as the Israelites had to make haste in moving on. The bread didn't rise because the people did instead. By God's grace, they were raised up out of slavery and into freedom. Through this annual festival, later generations would be given a chance to taste the haste. The children of the Exodus had a way to learn and remember that the Lord is the one who can deliver sudden, surprising, and unexpected reversals. This God is the kind who sets the mighty down in order to set the oppressed free. We also heard that Moses tells the Israelites that they are to consecrate the firstborn to the Lord. Consecrate. Consecrate means to set apart, to make sacred for God. When we consecrate something, we let go of our plans for it and give it to God. The people are told to consecrate their sons as well as their livestock. The firstborn from every womb was to be given to God. This practice was to begin when Israel entered the land that God had promised to give them. In delivering the Israelites from Egypt, the Lord claims the firstborn of all Egypt in this tenth and final plague, which is where we started this morning. In this way, the Lord demonstrates that all the firstborn in Egypt were held in his hand and belonged to him. And now, if you notice, if you catch it, now the Lord requires the same acknowledgement from Israel. Just as God claimed Egypt's firstborn, so now God claims Israel's firstborn. The people were to honor the Lord's sovereign rule over them by surrendering every firstborn male to him. In doing this, the Israelites are also instructed, if we had kept reading, to redeem their firstborns from the Lord. To redeem means to buy something back at a price. This price is not mentioned here in Exodus, but on other texts we know the price was a lamb without blemish, or if the family was extremely poor, a couple of dubs. Once again, this act of redemption would be a stark reminder to the people and later generations of the Lord's cost of saving the Israelites. The Lord's cost of saving the Israelites was the firstborn sons of Egypt. Every future Israelite mother and father would relive this reality of the tenth plague with joy and reverent fear. Every time they paid the redemption price for their firstborn, these families would be reminded in the most profound of ways that their sons were alive by God's grace. The price of liberating Israel was exceedingly great as we talked about last week. 
And Yahweh, creator of both the Israelites and the Egyptians, was the one who ultimately pays it for all humanity. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The Lord bought us back from sin and death by paying the highest of prices. The giving of his own and only begotten son, Jesus Christ. He gave his firstborn to redeem us. Now, where I want to focus is after laying out both these observances, and it's right where we ended, Moses underscores for Israel what this is really all about when he says, commemorate this every year. Commemorate this every year. In other words, remember this. The use of the word commemorate is purposeful, though. It clarifies for the Israelites that remembrance is not just looking back in the past. What God is calling the people to do is to live and learn by memory. That is, later generations are to make themselves present in the past as if they are there as it happens. And if you're familiar at all with the liturgy for the Passover meal, for a Seder meal, that's exactly what is reinforced again and again. Not that this happened long ago, but that we were there. We were there. Those of the past are not just to recall the exodus from Egypt. They are to be in living relationship with it. Living in and through the remembrance. The exodus is to always be, as we heard, like a sign on their hands and a reminder on their foreheads. But why is a reminder like this necessary? Why now? I mean, doesn't that seem odd? I mean, how could the Israelites, given where we've been the last couple of weeks, and for them it was much longer, how could the Israelites ever not remember something as incredible as their exodus from Egypt after centuries? We're talking hundreds of years of praying, hoping, and waiting. How could anyone not remember the mighty acts of God that we've spent the last couple of weeks looking at displayed through these ten plagues? Well... The truth is, as we'll soon discover, if we didn't know it already, we have selective memories. Do you notice that the Lord doesn't, doesn't wait to give this reminder to the people until after they've gotten across the Red Sea? Do you notice that the Lord doesn't wait to give this reminder? He doesn't try to jumpstart their memories when they're in the promised land. As odd as this seems, the Lord tells them to remember now. God didn't wait because, as we're going to find out pretty soon, the people are going to forget everything when they see the Egyptian army approaching them with their backs against the wall of the Red Sea. God didn't wait because the people will forget it all again when they go through the Red Sea and come into the wilderness and then suddenly can't find any food or drink. God reminds us to remember because, beloved, we are a forgetful people. Let's, and silently where you are, let's just consider this for a moment. Think, of, think about it. How often in our journey of faith, take just this week for each one of us here, how often in our journey of faith this week with this God do we forget that we were once sinners without hope? How often do we forget that our salvation depends on God's grace and not our own goodness? How, many, how often do we forget the times when we thought that God forgot us? but was really at work behind the scenes? How often do we forget the promises that we made to God, the covenants that we've made with each other? 
How often do we forget the way that God calls us and empowers us to live and instead we choose to believe in other gods? We are a forgetful people. A couple in their 80s was having problems remembering things. So they decided to go to the doctor for a checkup. The doctor told them physically they were fine, but they might want to start writing things down to help them remember. Later that night while watching TV, the husband got up from his chair and his wife asked, where are you going? To the kitchen for a drink, he said. She asked, well, would you get me a piece of cake? The husband said, sure. She gently reminded him, don't you think you should write it down so you don't forget it? He said, no, I can certainly remember that. Well, then his wife said, well, I'd like some strawberries on top. You'd better write that down because I know you'll forget it. The man replied, I can remember that. You want some cake with strawberries. She added, well, I'd like some whipped cream on top. Now I'm certain you're going to forget that, so you better write it down, okay? Irritated, he said, I don't need to write it down, woman. I can remember that. Cake with strawberries and whipped cream. He grumbled all the way into the kitchen. After about 30 minutes, the husband returned from the kitchen and handed his wife a plate of bacon and eggs. <laughs> she stared at the plate for a moment and then said, where's my toast? <laughs> Remembering is important. Remembering is important. The Lord understands the importance of remembering. The Lord understands not only the importance of remembering, he understands the danger of forgetting. From the very beginning of Israel's history, God made a habit. It's not new here in Exodus. It's simply a continuation in the trend. God has made a habit of establishing signs, of outlining practices, what we call liturgies, so that the people would remember and not forget his faithfulness and provision on their behalf. The Lord gave the rainbow to Noah, the rite of circumcision to Abraham, which we heard invoked in this text. We heard about the institution of the Passover and now the beginning of these feasts for the Israelites. And as they journey to the promised land, if we were to continue on, the Lord will tell the people to build various monuments as a reminder of a miracle, a battle, or an important event that happens along the way. Once they get settled into the land and begin to become a nation, the Lord will raise up prophets as living reminders of the fact that their true strength does not come from their military or their treasury. It comes from God. When they seem to have lost everything and find themselves in exile, back in slavery, languishing in a foreign land, the leaders of the people will tell them to remember God's faithfulness as they hold on to the Lord's promise that he would one day bring them home. Beloved, learning and living from memory is foundational, not only in the First Testament, but in the New Testament as well. Again and again, if we recall, Jesus points back to what his Father, the Lord, has done as a way of jogging the people's memory and helping them to understand his teaching and establishment of the kingdom in their midst. The Lord perhaps provides the most powerful reminder of his love and presence on the evening when Jesus recalls the Passover, on that night when he ate his final meal with his companions and said, quite simply, quite clearly, do this in remembrance of me. And do we recall, speaking of memory, 
Do we recall that when Jesus appeared in his resurrected glory to two men on the road to Emmaus, it was this meal, it was this ritual that enabled their eyes to be opened so that they remembered everything that Jesus had told them. And finally they understood and believed and rejoiced. Remembering is important. And the Lord has given us his word so that through his word, we can establish specific practices that can be remind us of his love and faithfulness again and again. And this is one of the reasons why we come together each and every Sunday as God's people to worship. The Lord has built into our worship things that will commemorate the past. We read and hear God's word together. The message and the application comes from here, not from here, from here so that we recall who this God is. We see and participate in the sacraments of baptism and Holy Communion. These are commemorations, object lessons, designed to point us to our roots, to remind us both of who we are and whose we are. We sing and we pray and we invoke words and music that reaffirm the history of our faith and our connection to those who have gone before us. We do this week in and week out, and it's so important that we show up because left on our own, we are a forgetful people. And it doesn't take long, does it? We can forget a lot in seven days. We can forget. It's so easy to forget who God is. It's so easy to drift into the belief that God's just a good guy rather than, than that he is the almighty God and there is no other. It doesn't take long to forget when we get out into the world that the Lord is holy and he doesn't trifle with evil. We're quick to forget the way of the Lord and find ourselves like the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. We need constant reminders that God has a plan, that God's wisdom is perfect. How many of us are coming this morning and there's some element of our life where we have forgotten that God has a plan, that God's wisdom is perfect? We need to remember God's track record, how the Lord has faithfully worked in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Because how easy it is, is it to forget that we live and survive by grace? What a word, but do we fully understand grace, how easy it is to forget that we live and survive by grace? How quick we are to forget, how quick we are to believe that we exist by our own strength. That it is by our might, our power, that the world that lives are changed. We need to remember that it is by his strength that we are saved. It is his spirit and not our gimmicks that change lives, that transforms the world. How easy it is to forget that we've not been set free for self-fulfillment. How many people, that's their understanding of the gospel, that our freedom in Christ is so that we can do what we want to do. How easy it is to forget that we've not been set free for self-fulfillment, but rather, in being set free, we have simply undergone a change of masters. That's the late-breaking newsflash for the Israelites. You will no longer serve Pharaoh, but from the very beginning, God doesn't hide his intentions. Let my people go so that they may worship me. How quick we are to forget that the Lord doesn't owe us. We owe him. We need to be reminded that in Christ... We are not our own, as Paul writes. We have been bought, redeemed at a price. Remembering what the Lord has done also reinforces where our focus needs to be. On serving the Lord, 
by sharing this salvation with others, not hoarding it, not holding on to it, not keeping it close to our vest, but giving it away, sharing it in word and deed with every possibility that we are given. Beloved, remembering each and every week, just in coming here on Sunday, remembering to say thank you spurs us on. It spurs us on, not out of obligation, but out of love. Out of love. I'm not going to ask anybody, but, and, and maybe some of you can raise your hand, but honestly, if you didn't come here with as busy as many of our lives are and also as, as, quickly, as quick as we are to forget and as much as we are all tend to be full of ourselves, if you didn't come here, when during your week would you actually pray a prayer of confession? When during your week would you actually have the time or would you be inclined to think about the things that you need to lay before God? I'm going back to the, the historical part and part of why we have the prayer insert in the bulletin. I mean, some of you, again, may be right on in this, but I've had numbers of people who are so thankful for the prayer insert because it suddenly enlarges their vision of what to pray for. If we didn't come together, would your prayers be smaller or bigger? Beloved, God brings us together in worship to remind us that we can't do it alone. Contrary to the word on the street, you can't worship virtually online. Contrary to the word on the street, you can't worship the living God out in nature. The Israelites tried that in the wilderness. How did it work out for them? We need each other in order to remember. We need to see new people come to faith and experience the transformation that comes from God's grace. We need that because that experience is a constant reminder to us of what God can do. And it reinforces what God has done in our lives. That's why baptism is public, not private. Every time we witness the waters of grace poured out on another person, we learn and live from the memory of our baptism. We remember that we are a changed people. We remember that we have died and risen to new life because of Christ. We remember that we're not there yet, that we're being transformed. We are becoming a new people in Jesus. Beloved, every time we break bread and come to the table, we learn and live from memory, the memory that we've been bought with a price, that for all of our diversity, we are the same. We are the same at this table. We are taught anew that God is in control and that God has given us all things freely to enjoy. We are reminded again because we forget that the God who has been faithful in the past will be faithful in the present as well. In other words, we are reminded week in and week out that we are blessed. I don't know if you've gone through the Good and Beautiful God which series which we did last year or the Good and Beautiful Life which is coming to a close, but one of the more profound uh, soul practices in the, those two books, profound because it seems so obvious, and yet it's, it was profound in what a chord it struck in many people, was the soul practice of simply taking the time to count your blessings. I recently uh, decided, because I thought it was so moving, to try to do that with middle school students. That's their homework this weekend for the Bible class, that they have to count their blessings every day, and they have to come up with a minimum list of 100. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's exactly what their reaction was. Are you serious? Well, can I just list off like 100 different ice cream flavors? No. Stretch yourself. Think about the things you take for granted. And I'm serious. You would have thought this is the hardest homework I've ever given middle schoolers in my life. And trust me, I've given a lot worse. That speaks to something about our memory. It speaks to something about our forgetfulness that we find it hard. Count our... Really? 
Do I have to count? I don't even know if I could get to 100. Really? Really? We can't get to 100? And that brings us to the last part here. <laughs> and it's the most sobering, so get ready. Ironically, what we read here in Exodus is that the best indication of the state of our memories, the best reflection of whether or not we have lost our minds, is found not in us. If you were listening carefully, it's not found in us, but it's found in those who come after us. Notice that in calling the people to remember... The Lord's major concern is the teaching of the Exodus event, the introducing of the God of the Exodus, the God who delivers to the next generation. The Israelites are commanded to remember that God rescued them from slavery in Egypt and then gave them a land to call their own. It's the power of that memory, the knowledge of what God has done for them in the past that kept them coming back to God for wisdom, understanding, and strength. They needed to hold on to that memory, to pass on the story of where they had come from, of how God rescued them, or they were in danger of returning to their old ways. As we're going to find out, this is the most shocking part of the Exodus story, getting free of Egypt is not as easy as it seems. It's going to be easier to get Israel out of Egypt than it is to get Egypt out of Israel. And beloved, much like the Israelites, for us on the other side of blessing, we find ourselves with our choice of gods, our choice of religions. It is only our memory of what this one particular God has done for us that tells us that this God, this Jesus, is like no other God. That in fact, this Jesus is the only true God. And much like the Israelites, when a new generation is born, we have to teach them about the experience of the past, our past, so that they will not have to try to find this one true God on their own. Each successive generation is intended to benefit from the history of its fathers and mothers. The greatest legacy that we can offer our children is the memory of the past so that he or she will not have to repeat the painful process of learning from the start about the nature of life and the nature of this God. And make no mistake, our, our, we are too shallow in our understanding on what we are called to pass on to the next generation is more than just knowing names and dates, the facts about our past. It is more than giving our children just hindsight. Beloved, remembering in its most powerful form also involves insight and foresight. It's about holding on to our story as it continues to be shaped in the present and into the future. It is living the story of our past anew in the present as a means of having a vision and hope for the future. Let me say this again. And we need to hear this, not just at Grace, but in the church at large. If we're not passing on our story, if we're not passing on this God to the next generation, then we have forgotten our past. We have lost our minds. Hear that again. If we sit here and we tell ourselves, but do not pass on our story, this God to the next generation, we have forgotten. We are participating in collective amnesia and we have lost our minds. We have lost the anchor that keeps us from drifting. We have forgotten, whether we acknowledge it or not, the sacrifices made for our freedom. And beloved, hear this, and I know this is going to sting. It is not their fault, but ours, for taking that freedom for granted. It is not their responsibility, but ours, for drifting away from the Lord. 
Short-term memory loss is frustrating and inconvenient. But long-term memory loss is dangerous because all that has preceded us defines who we are. It reminds us where we came from. It's what determines to a great extent why and where we are going now. We need to hear God's command to remember our story by passing it on. We are a multi-generational church and we need to wake up and understand that the next generation does not know the story, does not know this God. And many of us want to point the finger and blame them. Many of us and many of you who are here today have given up on your children, let alone the children that you adopted by baptism in this church. And if you have given up on them, you have given up on this God. You have given up on the story. We exist at a time when more and more children have no context in which they know the Lord. Many of you were privileged to grow up in a Christian home. Coming to faith was never, it just always was. You have no understanding of what it's like to not have that context. And again, being forgetful, for those of you who grew up in a Christian home, when's the last time, or maybe you maybe don't even have the ability to know this, but even ask yourself, somewhere along the line, your family was not always in relationship with Christ. Where in your family line did that redemption, did that freedom happen? That you are privileged, that you have been able to be built into? Do you know your story, the story of your own family? How many of you know that the students that we have coming here, and this is a reflection of our times and the challenge before us, we have many students who are being dropped off, elementary and middle school, dropped off. Their parents don't come, but they drop their kids off. And our challenge, unlike it was when you, many of you grew up, is not the operating assumption that the parents come with the children, but that we're trying to minister to children without the parents. We have an even greater work to do because we don't just have to simply pass on the story to the next, next generation. We've got to grab the generation that's bringing their children now. We've got to tell them the story. We've got to share the faith. Or we've got to admit that we've forgotten, that we've given up. From the journey to the promised land to Israel's fall, Exile and return as a nation, the people were reminded to learn and live from memory, to recognize that in all their history, God had been with them and always would be. And the dynamic is the same in the New Testament. The disciples were told to remember at their last meal with Jesus that because Jesus was going, when Jesus was gone, the memory, that meal, would tell them, would remind them of what Jesus had done and would remind them of what Jesus was still doing for them. Beloved, we need to help each other build our lives on the firm foundation of God's truth. We need to remind each other of the lessons of the past every chance we get. Remembering the past, knowing our history, is one of the most essential practices of developing and holding on to our faith in Christ. So I invite you this morning, today, come and be reminded of how you got here. Because once Long ago, or perhaps yesterday, the Lord lifted you up and set you free from living in denial and fearing death. Come, let us worship together to remember. Let us recall our story and pass on our faith to those who will come after us through the ritual and practices of the body of Christ. Because when we give ourselves, when we consecrate ourselves to God, when we make it a priority to show up on Sunday, we teach the coming generation the salvation of God. We model the importance of our story. 
And when our children ask us, why do we get up and go to church on Sunday? When our children ask us, why are we reading our Bible early in the morning? When our children ask us, why do we sing these songs that we sing? When our children ask us, why do we always pray before every meal or before we go to sleep or before we travel? Why do we do all these things? When our children ask why we offer ourselves to this God without reservation, then we can tell them with integrity, with authority, we do this because God offered himself in his only son to us without reservation. Beloved, all renewal, all renewal in the church, if you're someone who's praying for it, all renewal is an act of remembrance. Think about that. All renewal is an act of remembrance. And if you're struggling to believe that renewal is possible, if you're struggling to remember because you've forgotten so much, take heart, hear it today as we worship together, the, uh, the overwhelming truth of the gospel that even in the midst of our forgetfulness and the call to remember, we are able to remember because God remembers us first. Because God in Christ remembers us first and he never forgets. Amen? Amen. Amen.